Do you feel the calling to help the world heal in these times of uncertainty from violence and trauma using powerful spiritual tools combined with action? Do you want to shift your personal and our collective destiny lines from war, oppression, and genocide into peace? If so, I warmly welcome you here today. This is Destiny Lines, Sacred Activism for Peacemaking and Ending Violence. My name is Rachel Mann, Ph.D. I am a sacred activist, social scientist, shamanic healer, and spiritual mentor. Come learn from my stories, experiences, and research, as well as from those of visionary thought leaders who are working on the spiritual frontiers of sacred activism to end violence. I invite you to step up with me into this extremely important work. Find out how it is part of the fulfillment of your unique mission and purpose in life. Let's go. There's no time to lose. Welcome, everyone, to Destiny Lines. I am Rachel Mann, PhD, your host. And I am here once again to inspire, uplift, and motivate you. Despite what is going on around the world, I continue to believe fervently that peace is truly the human way. This is why I am deeply committed to spreading the word about sacred activism for peacemaking. So in this episode, I want to foreground the transpersonal spiritual dimension of my journey that led me to understanding how I have been and am a sacred activist for peacemaking. So I'm going to tell you more about my personal story. Sharing our stories is a way to self-reflect, deepen, and integrate. Throughout my life, I have followed my heart and passion as a sacred activist, social scientist, shamanic healer, and spiritual teacher, and of course, a humble human being. And there were lots of steps to getting there. May my story help you think more about yours. To ask the question, what is the mythic story of your life, your reason and purpose for being here? One morning in 1992, I woke up trapped inside my house during an unusually brutal winter storm. Ice literally poured from the heavens. The season had already been brutally cold. My husband Joe and I had been married for a little over two years. Our small cinder block rental cottage stood on a 3,000-acre horse farm in Albemarle County, 15 miles south of Charlottesville, Virginia, at least a mile from any major road. By the time the storm passed two days later, we could not open the door, the front door. There was an unnerving stillness in the air. The power had gone out and we were trapped. I looked out the window at a landscape locked under more than a foot of ice as far as the eye could see. Suddenly, a feeling of intense panic rose from my chest up into my throat. There was a strange pressure in my head. I gasped for air. Slowly, like an ivy drip, I was being engulfed by a suffocating, unexplained terror. 
I shook my head in hopes that, like a dog shaking water off its coat, the sensations and feelings would leave. Nothing. The pressure and dread persisted all day. I tried to read but could not concentrate. As the sun set, it actually worsened. I went to bed early with nothing else to do. I hoped I would wake up in the morning and the terror would be gone. But it wasn't. I opened my eyes, and there it was sitting on my chest like I was waiting for a hangman to take me to the gallows. I had no idea what was happening except to label it in psychological terms as anxiety, but this felt more like felt like more than simple anxiety. I was 32 years old and had lived with that feeling most of my life. This was entirely different and thoroughly frightening. I mean, it wasn't as if I was unused to massive winter snowstorms that left everyone hunkered down inside until the plows came through. I had spent my teenage years in the Chicago area. Since moving in with Joe into the little farm cottage in 1990, a year before our marriage, I loved everything about living in the Virginia countryside. The tranquility of open fields with a scrubby forest-covered hill rising up behind our house towards the wooded and stone-covered top of Castle Rock Mountain. Usually, when a big, sto- a big snow came to Virginia, usually a rare and precious event, it was always fun. We would wake up to a wide expanse of peace, and I would call into work and say I could, got, could not get out, which in Virginia, unlike Chicago, was true. The plows took days and days to get to the rural areas of the county, and to pass away the time, I would take the dogs out for a a snowy walk. I would cook, clean, and read. Joe would feed the small wood stove, and we would make love. But this time, as the days wore on and the temperature didn't rise enough to melt the ice, I felt no joy, no desire for him or even for life. I walked around like a zombie going through the motions and tried to will myself into a happier frame of mind. I didn't tell Joe. I didn't know what to say. How can you describe something so intangibly bound up in your inner world that you aren't even sure it is real? Besides, I was used to keeping my deeper feelings to myself. I had enough training when I was a kid, that showing or speaking of anything other than happiness was fundamentally taboo. The ice storm was dramatically followed by another two days of snow. We were locked into the house for ten days before the temperatures warmed up up enough to start a slow melt and for the farm manager to finally get his plow to us and set us free. But I was not. Terror and dread went with me into the outside world. So, as the months of 1993 went by, I began to live in two worlds. On the outside, I looked like I belonged to the functional middle class. I went to work, did my job, spent time with my friends, my husband, and family. On the inside, I existed in a cramped and painful space. Yet deep within my suffering lay a promise of a bigger life. Through the portal of my pain body and my personal story of wounding from a narcissistic mother's physical, emotional, sexual, and spiritual abuse, I entered the bloody stream of humanity's violence and learned to 
form both into a powerful healing medicine for myself and others. I then forged a life with purpose and passion on behalf of ending violence in all its manifestations from subtle to overt and to building a worldwide vibrational resonance of peace peace with what I call sacred activism for peacemaking. So what happens when you trace the thread of emotional pain in your life? When you follow its deep currents unconditionally, like a baby duckling follows its mother, when you track the suffering of the mind and body deep into the resources of your subconscious, I know that while you may feel at times like you are going to fall apart or break or live a life divided within yourself forever, I am here to tell you that you do not have to. You will not. I did not. You can instead track the darkness to the light within you, and thus become part of an energetic movement of peacemakers who are transmuting their pain in service of healing the world. But of course, I didn't know all of this on that icy day in 1993. About three months after the ice storm, my fit, flexible, young, 30-something body became bound up and ravaged daily by a dull, aching pain from my neck down to my buttocks. At night, I could not sleep because there was no comfortable position, and it was as if the sleep switch just wouldn't turn on. In the mornings, I hobbled out of bed like an old woman, slightly bent over until the muscles slowly relented and I could walk upright without a limp. Meanwhile, dread and panic continued to stalk me. I was completely bound up in a body of suffering and terror-filled mind. In the early 90s, I was an underemployed PhD, a pariah and scapegoat at work after filing charges of harassment, and my narcissistic mother's personal slave, or so she believed. She was unemployed mostly by choice and desperate. She threatened that she would become a bag lady if I would not let her live with my fiancé and then husband and me. I had to twice throw her out of my house. These stresses wore on my marriage and on me. One Sunday afternoon, I was browsing a community bulletin board outside a local health food store, and a flyer jumped out at me. Experience somato-emotional release, body work for energetic healing. Instinctually, I took down the number. A few days later, I was lying on a massage table in a quiet room overlooking suburban woods, a petite, brown-haired woman named Janet gently placed her hands on my clothed body. I was overwhelmed with the sensation, suddenly, and awareness of a bleeding gash in my solar plexus. In a light trance, I recognized with a shock that I was experiencing the agonized consciousness of a French holy warrior wounded and dying on a field of battle in the Middle Ages. I was being given a physical, mental, and emotional impression like the negative of a photograph of what this man experienced. I could slightly feel the cold, damp air on my skin, and I could hear in my inner hearing the sound of calls and jeers and the clashing of metal. My conscious mind 
I, Rachel, was present and aware within his. Only a fragile filament of darkness veiled our inexorable connection with in a vibrating, luminous, holographic matrix where all time and realities happen at once. I recognized then through direct experience what I had believed since I was a child, that our greater consciousness knows and holds it all if we only choose to open the door. I engaged with this man's consciousness, spoke to him, learned about his life as a warrior monk who believed his Lord Jesus would protect him and his horse in battle. I felt his anguish as they both were slowly dying. He hated that she was suffering. Then I experienced how his consciousness expanded from the shock and he saw the faces of all the men, women, and children whom he had tortured, wounded, and murdered. And then suddenly, he had a dramatic realization that Jesus did not mean for him to kill, that it had been all wrong. In deep, deep grief and horror, he believed he would go to hell and not sit at the feet of his Lord as he had always believed. He thought he was irredeemable, unforgivable. The tears poured out of him. With my compassion for his suffering mounting, I reassured him that no one is unforgivable, that he would sit in the compassionate and loving presence of Christ, that I knew Christ was not about hatred or shutting us out, because of mistakes we made. I felt then his consciousness finally leave his body with his last exhalation. He was in more peace. I learned so much from Jean, the name he gave me, about how love mingled with a faith that asserts its superiority can lead to so much personal confusion, ignorance, and wrong action. It altered my perception at the time of those who use religion in service of war, a phenomenon of the 20th and 21st centuries. I thought they were uncaring, unloving, and even, out of my own judgment, irredeemable. Yet because Jean was part of me, because I saw into his heart and felt his deep love for Christ and his beloved horse, I could not reject him at the moment of his greatest suffering. He was a human being in anguish who had been led astray. I knew even then, despite my own prejudices, that punishment is not the end game of death. I knew Jesus and the cosmos cosmos was all about love, though I myself by that time was not following a Christian path. So the imperative I knew was to heal him and that somehow it would help heal me. When I rose up from the massage table, my own pain was gone and the great weight of dread that had stalked me for months had disappeared, miraculously. Two days later, still in that space of liberation, I called Janet and said, teach me everything you know. I need to know what you know. 
I wanted to learn the spirituality and practices that had led me into this magical, mysterious realm where the laws of physical reality and linear time dissolved and where the possibility of the ending of suffering existed. I also needed to understand how and why my personal pain could be so dynamically interconnected with other lifetimes, and in my case, the ravages of war. This launched a 10-year journey into what I call the bloody stream of humanity. As I say now, the spirits and my higher self were going to train me to be a healer and peacemaker the best way they could through just enough suffering to make me grow humble, strong, and wise, and to strive for healing, but not enough to kill me. While all this was going on, I undertook scholarly research into violence, trauma, healing, and peace. I did not want to rely solely on experiences that I can only call spiritual. I wanted to parlay my social scientific training into a rigorous academic study of the causes and conditions of violence. I had to satisfy both minds, both sides of myself. As renowned historian Hannah Arendt noted in her book on violence published in 1970, though scholars had up until then trotted out the stories of kings, queens, and wars, of nobility and aristocracy. No one had ever taken the time to step back to understand violence itself, to see it as a larger phenomenon and to thus begin to unravel our belief in its inevitability. To a large degree, it was as if Arendt was taking a step back to inquire into human consciousness. After meeting the holy warrior Jean, whenever I lay on the table in an energy healing, or when I went into meditation, my personal pain was a portal into humanity's bloody stream of violence. I saw and experienced so many things that were well beyond my present life as a privileged white middle-class woman. Now, since I was a child, I knew I had lived many other lifetimes. So as the visions and experiences unfolded over many years, I understood that I was seeing some of these. I saw that I myself had been a victim, perpetrator, and passive bystander. I had experiences of being in authoritarian rulership, having mental illness, being sociopathic, and also in healing service. I learned about the magnetic draw of the battlefield, the sense of adventure, courage, nobility, and compassion that could arise under the most dangerous of circumstances. I encountered great love and passion as well as misery, horrendous suffering in body, mind, and heart, hatred, torture, and rage. I began to understand on a very visceral level the draw and drag of violence on human consciousness. Above all, as I healed myself, I was shown a powerful transformational pathway out of this mind of separation, where we see each other as different, separate from others, and forget our unity. 
I saw it within myself, and even as I healed myself, I realized that with every venture into the personal and collective stream of experience, that I was healing my ancestors, all of us in the present, and future generations. I learned how experiences that are deeply personal and intimate are profoundly interconnected through a web of light to the causes and conditions of violence embedded in history, and hence in our individual and collective subconscious. The process of healing myself taught me how to move this impacted and painful energy through inner contemplation, directed intention, and expanded presence into healing, release, and peace. Then one day, after many years of this, after so many years steeping myself in all of this, a vibrational frequency of psycho-spiritual consciousness that perpetuates this lower destiny line in the world, I felt its complement, its alternative. I had gone on a weekend retreat where participants were given something called diksha, a giving of a powerful prayer and energy transmission of light. At the end of the weekend, we were all standing in a circle holding hands. The diksha givers went around placing their hands on our heads to send the transmission. By the end, I must have received 10 or 12 blessings. Suddenly, I felt and knew deep in my bones the stream of love and peace that also exists in the holographic matrix of reality. It was as if I had been plugged into an electrical socket with a lower vibrational frequency and that the cord was pulled out and plugged into this other. I fell to my knees. The light was so overwhelming. What I knew in that moment was that my direct training in the shadow of humanity's darkness had ended and that I was now supposed to turn my efforts to understanding the inner workings of peace. It was not long after that that I decided to leave my tenured position as a professor and administrator at the University of Virginia to get training to be a shamanic healer. That was now 16 years ago and 28 years since the ice storm. The violence and trauma that our ancestors and we in our present experience, whether personal, group, or planetary, can be transmuted into a great peace. Part of the process is to go within, to see how the smog of our conditioning leads us to think that the way things are now is the way they have always been and always will be. I did heal from PTSD, and as all humans do, I still continue my inner work. It is, of course, a lifetime project to learn to love every part of yourself. Ultimately, this is the point. For when we love ourselves in our authenticity, as Chris Saadi and Mandy Bird, whom I interviewed earlier in this series, say, it is then that we have a deep passion to offer ourselves to the world in service. We do not want others to suffer as we have. We want them to know joy and pleasure. Through my journey, I harnessed the core of my mission and purpose as a sacred activist for peacemaking, as a healer. Through your own healing journey, 
You have the power to end violence and dream a new earth of great peace into being. Love yourself first and love yourself last. Through this, you will discover your mission and purpose. And may you first be like a flower blooming in the middle of a bright field. That is enough to change the world. And so I now make an offering in prayer. May all the goodness of these words be for the benefit of all beings, that all beings will live in light, love, and peace, that all beings be joyful, happy, and well. May it be so. Aho. Wado. And I thank you so much for listening in. May you be well and whole. Much love. Thank you for joining me, Rachel Mann, PhD, your host of this powerful podcast series, Destiny Lines, Sacred Activism for Peacemaking and Ending Violence. I hope you have been inspired into manifesting your dream for yourself personally or for or within your organization to dream forth a world of compassion, love, and peace. If you would like to find out more about me and my work, you may go to my website at rachelmanphd.com or email me at rachelmanphd at gmail.com. I offer individual energy healing sessions, a three-month mentoring program for individuals wishing to magnetize their sacred service to the world, as well as programs, retreats, and classes for individuals and organizations who are inspired by the mission of sacred activism for peacemaking and ending violence. I look forward to you joining me and to hearing from you. Let's get started. There's no time to lose.